in commercial insurance, the losses are going to happen. They're anticipated, expected. By transferring as many of those losses away from your insurance policy as possible, it will lead to a lower total cost of risk for yourself and your operation. Let's get ready to scale. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for yet another episode of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Jeanette Robinson, Director of Investor Relations at Blue Lake Capital. Joining me today is Calvin Roberts. Calvin is the principal at Falcon Insurance Agency of Michigan, which specializes on risk management, loss control, claims advocacy, real estate due diligence, and contract negotiations. He previously served as a commercial risk advisor at Shields Insurance Agency, and prior to that, he was a sales manager for Allstate. He has a BA in sound engineering, and he is coming to us today from Ann Arbor, Michigan. So Calvin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, yeah, definitely um, in- intrigued. So I have to ask, what is sound engineering? It sounds like a really fancy degree for like being a DJ. <laughs> you know, that's that's a pretty close guess, honestly. I When I was younger, I always wanted to own and operate a recording studio. I wanted to be a music producer. But life has a ironic sense of, I don't know, twisting fate, one could say. So instead of being a music producer, I ended up finding my way into being an insurance producer. <laughs> so... <laughs> Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? Normally people are not like, oh, insurance, this sounds fascinating, you know, but actually right now, what is going on with the insurance industry? I mean, I know it's, I know there's companies, um, you know, that are just massively exiting markets. Um, You know, I know that it's killing a lot of multifamily deals. Um, Costs are, you know, just exponentially increasing. So, can you just kind of clue all of us into, okay, what's happening? How did we get here? And what are your ideas about then what? Well, there's really like five or six factors all kind of converging at the same time. The first on everyone's mind is inflation. That seems to have been what set off the most recent hardening of the commercial property insurance marketplace. So beginning in 2020, when a deluge of cash was dumped into the U.S. economy, you know, eventually that starts to trickle into the real economy. And ultimately, that does impact the availability and profitability of insurance companies in terms of being able to provide property insurance at an affordable price. So, you know, if you're an insurance company and maybe you're shooting for a 5% underwriting profit across the book of business, and then the cost of rebuilding spikes 25% in a year. Well, that 5% profit just turned into a 15 to 20% loss. So that was what kind of was like the first contributing factor that really led to the hardening marketplace. Beyond that, it's really reinsurance that's been driving pricing variance over this past 12 month period. Reinsurance is insurance for the insurance company. So if you're State Farm or Travelers or uh, auto owners or any other national or regional insurance company, you buy reinsurance to transfer some or a decent sized portion of the risk away from your book of business. 
Well, because there has been a, a historically low base interest rate across the economy over the last 15 years, that's led to a just a scenario where there was an abundance of capital in reinsurance markets. So essentially it was a buyer's market within reinsurance for way too long of a period. It led to really sloppy underwriting practices on the reinsurance side, on the primary insurer side. Essentially the end consumer was being subsidized by their insurer, the primary insurer, who was in turn being subsidized by reinsurance capital. As interest rates have increased, the relative attractiveness of investing in reinsurance has diminished. You know, if you can get six or seven percent investing in bonds or another very safe vehicle, is trying to get nine or ten percent by investing in reinsurance a pretty risky vehicle? All that attractive? Not so much. So versus very interesting. This, now, it, I'm just curious, how many layers can we go? Can you like? So there's insurance, there's reinsurance. Is there a re-reinsurance? You know what I mean? Like how far down can, can this trickle? Yes and no. So that's where kind of you see like a AIG 2008 scenario come into play. So in theory, reinsurers could also reinsure themselves with a larger reinsurance company, you know, like Berkshire Hathaway or AIG or just any of the very large top five reinsurers have capacity to plausibly do that. You don't see it a lot of the time, but situationally it could make sense. Okay, interesting. All right, so we've got inflation, we've got uh, far less um, attractiveness for basically reinsurers, right? And what are some of these other factors that have gotten us to where we are? Social inflation is definitely contributing to the hard market. I wouldn't say it's the most imperative factor, but essentially you're seeing a bit of almost judicial activism coming from juries that are awarding exorbitantly large verdicts. You know, somebody has a, I'll give an anecdotal example. I had a, it's a hundred unit apartment complex in Toledo, Ohio. And in two separate instances, four months apart, the plumbing from the unit above you know, I guess the unit above had flushed something that they weren't supposed to, and it led to a plumbing backup or leak that ended up dripping onto the tenant below them, their drywall ceiling. So the first instance in the living room, drip, 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 eventually the ceiling popped like a balloon, and the tenant just so happened to be underneath it when that occurred. Mm. And then wouldn't you believe the chance of fate, four months later, Exact same scenario, but this time in the bathroom. <laughs> so, wow. you know, this tenant goes on the news, he paints a, a big song and dance about how, oh, this evil landlord, big, mean, rich, wealthy, multifamily investor is, you know, not taking care of his property or whatever. We ended up paying $36,000 to make that resolve free trial. But you see enough instances like that Essentially, it does start to influence insurance pricing. Interesting. And then, of course, I'm going to, you know, call out the obvious, which is, you know, a lot of concerns around climate change. And, uh, you know, I know, for example, in Florida, a ton of insurance companies have just flat out pulled out. Uh, same in California, I believe, as well. Um, and those that remain, the pricing is just astronomical. So, 
Um, how do insurance companies take that into account? I have to say, I can understand from one standpoint, from the business standpoint, I can understand, okay, it makes sense for me to be in this market, that market, and not this market. But at the same time, I do think it's kind of messed up when insurance companies are only willing to insure in you know, the areas that are more than likely going to lead to huge profits for them. And then, you know, oh, well, tough luck, guys, you know, for those that live in other other regions. So, you know, kind of what, what are your thoughts or your views on all of that? Well, climate change is definitely an, an important part of the insurance meta in years to come. Politics aside, it's real. Insurance companies have a, a vested interest in having very good data on projecting climate change and the effects thereof. You know, it's ultimately their money most crucially on the line. So they, a lot of companies can see the writing on the wall in which direction the wind is blowing. And, you know, what do you do if you're a business and you've tried to turn a profit in a state like Florida, for instance, for 15 straight years? And maybe you've made some money in two or three of those years, but then you've lost your pants every other year. Eventually, you pack up your ball and go play somewhere else. But that's a big part of what we're seeing. Florida and California, they have similar woes, but for almost radically different causes. I think it's like the, almost like the most pressing validation of the, the horseshoe political theory I've ever come across, where in California, they're taking a populist approach of, oh, these big bad insurance companies, we're not going to let them raise rates. You know, they have to try to turn a profit based on 2019 rate filing, which doesn't work. So that's why you're seeing companies pulling out of California. Whereas Florida, they took a different spin on that same kind of populist take of we want to make it so that our legal structure is very friendly to the end consumer. So we're going to make it very, I'm not going to say easy, but friendly or hospitable to bringing suit against insurance companies that we, the consumer, believe have wronged us in some capacity. So I, I read a statistic at the end of 2022 that in quarter four 2022, it was like 88% or somewhere north of 80% of all bad faith claim lawsuits brought against insurance companies in the fourth quarter of 2022 originated in Florida, which is a possible that Florida insurance companies are just up to no good trickery more than any other states. Maybe. Anything's possible, I guess. I don't think it's extraordinarily likely. What I do believe is that until the recent attempt at insurance reform in Florida, the legal framework in that state seemed to encourage and enable bringing kind of superfluous suits against insurance companies. Which, you know, if you're a consumer and you're trying to get your roof replaced and the insurance company is saying no that's prior damage and then you sue them and you get the roof replaced that's good for you but it's bad for everyone else when the cost of insurance in that state starts to begin to drive away new economic activity Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Now, are there any other additional factors um, in this complex, you know, scenario where we find ourselves today? Those are really the big four that are contributing probably 90% of the hurt that we're experiencing today. In terms of 
other factors that are influencing, you're seeing a just an increasing frequency and severity of the amount of losses caused by tenant negligence. So that's the scenario where a tenant, maybe they work a 12-hour day, they come home, they maybe crack open a six-pack, drink two or three beers, throw a frozen pizza in the oven, and they fall asleep. <laughs> and just like that, you're looking at, you know, 80,000, 100,000 in fire damage. You know, it gets put out. It's not like the building burns to the ground necessarily. But you see a, a magnitude of those high-frequency, low-to-medium-severity type of negligence losses. I encourage my multifamily operator clients to consider forcing renter's insurance across all of their tenants. You can require them in your lease agreement to obtain their own third-party coverage from an Allstate or a State Farm or whichever insurance company they choose. But you can also force place that coverage in a mechanism similar to lender force place coverage for real estate. It's been huge, at least within my firm, for preserving the profitability of a lot of these multifamily accounts. Because ultimately, if it turns into a claim, sure, it'll get paid if you claim it on your property insurer. But insurance at higher levels is really about risk financing. It's less about almost like the lottery type mechanism that you see on like home and auto, where, oh, there's a one in a hundred chance we'll get into a car accident this year, that kind of thing. In commercial insurance, the losses are going to happen. They're anticipated, expected. By transferring as many of those losses away from your insurance policy as possible, it will lead to a lower total cost of risk for yourself and your operation over the course of a career. Excellent advice. Uh, very good insight. Okay. Um, well, I would actually like to explore kind of some additional topics related to, um, you know, mitigating risk. Um, but before we do, let's go ahead and have a word from our sponsor. Ready to Scale is brought to you by Blue Lake Capital, where we hunt down the best multifamily investment opportunities that we can find and invite investors to join in with us. We target Class B value-add multifamily properties across the Sun Belt. Our CEO, Ellie Perlman, invests a substantial amount of capital into every deal. This means our interests are aligned with yours. If you're an accredited investor looking to expand your portfolio and diversify sponsors, be sure to visit us at bluelake-capital.com. Blue Lake Capital. Be bold, be extraordinary, and keep moving forward. All right. So Calvin, that was already uh, some really good, helpful um, information for multifamily owner and operators. But I'm curious, what are some other risks that you caution people against that they seem to overlook? There are a few that immediately come to mind. The first is contractual risk transfer. I highly recommend implementing that within your operation to the fullest extent possible. Um, I'll give a good example. Let's say you hire a, a snow removal contractor during the winter. Maybe your assets are in a colder climate like Michigan, for example. You'll want to have certain requirements baked into your subcontractor employment agreement, such as providing additional insured status, primary non-contributory conditions, and waiver of subrogation conditions. Those are important because if, let's say, the snow removal contractor fails to properly you know, salt the sidewalk, 
results in a slip and fall accident. I, I have one in Fort Wayne, Indiana. It's like a 500 unit apartment complex we've been working on for four or five months. And he took a $360,000 loss two years ago from a tenant slip and fall from that exact scenario. If he had been imposing those requirements upon his subcontractor, that wouldn't necessarily have to be a claim on his insurance. And it typically doesn't cost the contractor any additional money provided that they have insurance. I won't write a contractor policy without including blanketed additional insured, waiver of subrogation, primary non-contributory conditions, because it's so commonly requested of them. And if you're wondering, what does that look like in practice? Do you have any examples? I, I do have a property management subcontractor insurance guidelines template. You can use it as drafted. You can disregard it. You can modify it to your suit and preferences. But if you're ever curious, you can reach out to me. I'm more than happy to provide that to anyone interested. All right. Well, very good. Now, um, I understand, you know, that you talked about, you know, essentially insurance is risk financing, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, some very good information about how to be able to, um, let's say, push some of those risk assumptions onto, say, tenants or contractors. Um, is there anything else that multifamily owner and operators can do to try to secure better rates for their insurance so it's not killing the deal and basically devouring their cash flow and the returns for both themselves and their investors? That's a tough one because it's mostly a almost like a proactive but also in hindsight type of saving. So in terms of for a, a deal kind of on the fence of can we make the numbers work? If you feel comfortable with it, you can typically reduce the total amount of coverage that you have on the deal to about 80% of what it would cost to rebuild the property or the apartment complex. Depends on your comfort level and kind of what your disposition preferences would be in that global loss scenario. You just want to cash out, you want to rebuild, is that important to you? So that is one mechanism. And then really increasing the deductible to the highest amount that your lender will accept and that kind of your reserves and risk tolerance will tolerate. That's pretty much the other variable that one can manipulate. It's on new acquisitions itself. I just this year I've killed probably 40 or 50 part of deals. If someone reaches out to me, hey, we're looking at the 65 unit complex in Tampa. Okay, well. The rate is between X and Y, for example. So if I know the rate defined as premium per $100 in coverage, and I know that, you know, a frame class B apartment complex in Florida might cost maybe $175 a square foot, $185 a square foot to rebuild. And I can go as low as 80% of that figure. I know the variables that I can punch into a simple algebraic function and come up with an anticipated premium range. You know, it's not perfect, but it's within 10% variance of what you would see on the hard quote. My indications are pretty darn accurate. So it's it's tough right now. I mean, I, I, I think sellers are just not yet in a scenario where they need to sell. I think we'll see a lot more opportunity over the next year or two. But this past year has been weird. <laughs> 
Yes, it has been weird. We, we keep calling it an interesting time in real estate. And that's really the best word for it because it is just interesting. Um, all right. Now, I'm curious too, and you know, um, totally not my wheelhouse, right? Insurance. So I really don't know much about it. Um, how is insurance impacted by the Fed and the interest rate? That's where it ties back into that reinsurance question, where this time or today versus two years ago, there has been a diminished availability of capital within reinsurance markets to the tune of about $225 billion. And I attribute that primarily to the increase in the base interest rate. You know, if you can get six or 7% from bonds, not many people feel sufficiently motivated to invest in reinsurance to get maybe nine or 10% or risk losing it all. So yeah, the two are very closely intertwined. And ironically, the interest, the increase in base interest rates has led to the, the market hardening, the continued market hardening that we've experienced over this past year. You know, inflation, that was the first punch. Interest rates increasing, leading to a diminished availability of reinsurance capital. That's the two to the one-two punch. <laughs> insurance companies are, and really the industry as a whole, are fighting for their life right now. I mean, it's genuinely concerning to me, not so much in the sense of what will happen to me. I'm an independent. I work with, gosh, probably 130 insurance companies. There's always going to be someone that I can place an account with, but I do wonder, is this beginning to spill over to the real economy? I mean, in markets like Florida, it's kind of like the worst case example on everyone's mind. exorbitant cost of insurance and the rapid increase we've experienced over this past year, it's beginning to affect valuations. And I suspect we'll probably have to see the federal government step in and do something similar to the Terrorism Risk Insurance Act of 2002. After the September 11th tax, terrorism cover, which as most multifamily operators have experienced, is required by most commercial lenders, especially if it's saying, well, you know, government agency backed up, Fannie Freddie or Hub Loans or anything like that. After 9-11, I believe three or four insurance companies became insolvent. It's a black swan event that's very hard to account and model for. And it wasn't just the direct property loss, but also the cascading spiderweb of liability that ensued, where you have the, you know, tenants are suing the property manager, who's suing the contractors, who's suing the material supply vendors. Long story short, that led to several insurance companies going insolvent and the industry got spooked and stopped providing terror cover. The marketplace didn't have all the answers for it. So Congress, with their infinite wisdom, passed the Terrorism Risk Insurance Act of 2002. And essentially what that means is the U.S. federal government agrees to pick up 85% of the tab for a terrorism law, a covered terrorism law. And they do so by acting as essentially a reinsurance facility. So the private industry distributes coverage to the primary consumer, then is reinsured by the U.S. federal government who indemnifies them to the tune of 85%. So, wow, that is... I, uh... I, very interesting. I, I definitely did not know about any of that. Um, wow, very interesting. 
Um, so in your opinion, and it does sound, you know, concerning, are we almost essentially at maybe at the precipice of an insurance bubble? I, I think it's getting to the point, and we might be there next year, where the bottom starts to fall out. I don't know what that might look like, but it is concerning to me. And that's where I think the U.S. federal government would have to step in and do something very similar to the Terrorism Risk Insurance Act, but for property reinsurance. Because if you're the U.S. federal government, what's ultimately a, a lower cost of doing business for you if you just want to keep the tax dollars flowing, you know, pumping 50 or $75 billion a year into reinsuring property or trying to dig the economy out of the you know, perception of worse. Tough call. <laughs> but I think you'll see the U.S. federal government come in and reinsure property cover realistically within a couple of years. I, I suspected as much since it was the California wildfires in 2017 that made me start wondering about that. We're trending in that direction. And I, I wonder which way things are going to develop over the next year or two. Wow. Well, Calvin, very interesting. Um, a lot to think on there and a lot of aspects that I hadn't even taken into consideration. So I really appreciate you, um, you know, being thorough and, and, and helping us to really understand the entire situation and, you know, potentially, you know, what the future looks like a little bit. So I'm going to I'm going to hope, you know, that things will improve and, um, you know, uh, and keep an eye on it. Definitely something I'll be monitoring moving forward. Uh, you just made it, uh, insurance a lot more interesting to me than it was before. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I am one of those few nerds who finds this stuff genuinely fascinating. So I, I liken it to if you have a worrying mind, someone who is constantly thinking, what are the bad things that can happen and what can I do to reduce my exposure to them insurance is pretty attractive for that <laughs> so anyone who suffers from anxiety should get into insurance awesome pretty much <laughs> <laughs> all right well i have five questions that i ask every guest at the end of uh, our episodes and so i call them the lightning round questions so and they're just fun uh are you ready let's do it all right so, Calvin, what is your favorite hobby aside of thinking about all the bad things that can happen and, you know, trying to prevent that? <laughs> I love live music. Pretty big into skateboarding. Um, those are kind of the two big things for me. I, I like to travel. Nice. Nice. Okay. All right. And what is one thing that people don't know about you that's kind of interesting? Oh, I... It's a tough one. Hmm. I would still very much love to own a recording studio at some point. I, <laughs> I very much plan to dip my toes into the music realm in the form of joint ventures in the next 10, 15 years. Hey, you got time. You got time. Um, all right. Now, what about as far as uh, reading? So if somebody actually does want to understand, you know, all of this better, what book would you recommend that they could read that would be really insightful for them to start understanding all the different mechanisms at play? tough one i as far as insurance reading goes because most of these factors impacting the market currently are fairly new i don't want to call them transitory but just not historically relevant to the same extent 
businessinsurance.com, they always put out phenomenal industry publications. Uh, there's an industry lobby group called Triple I, like I-I-I. Um, they put out a, a number of phenomenal deep dive articles each year. Those are great for reading into and kind of making sense of, hey, why am I getting a 45% renewal premium increase? What's going on? <laughs> All right. Very good. I, I'll have to check it out myself since I'm going to start tracking on this more closely. All right. Now, one of the things we also talk about on the show is, you know, all of this is not just about money. Uh, money serves a purpose for greater things, right? And one of the things that we try to encourage is for people to really build an extraordinary life and live an extraordinary life. So what would be your advice for someone that is trying to build an extraordinary life? Keep things interesting. Do things differently. Hey, that is an interesting answer. I've never heard anyone suggest that, but I like it. I do like it. I think it is important. All right. And then last but not least, um, if you want to get in touch with you, Calvin, where can they find you? Email phenomenal, Facebook, LinkedIn, Carrier Pigeon, Smoke Signal. If you want to reach out to me, I'm obsessively available. So please don't. All right. Uh, do you want to share with the listeners your website or email address so that they can find you? Absolutely. Kelvin, like Kelvin Klein, C-A-L-V, Victor, I, and Nancy, at Falcon, like the bird, I-N-S, like insurance, agency.com. And I'm also available on LinkedIn, Kelvin Roberts, Facebook, Smoke Signal, Morse code of Telegram. <laughs> All right. Well, Calvin, thank you very much. Um, very interesting, very insightful. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And I hope that the listeners did too. For those of you that tuned in, I hope you also found this to be really insightful and interesting. Uh, please don't forget to like, rate, and review the show. Let us know more of what you'd like to hear. And in the meantime, be bold, be strong, and keep moving forward. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.